uh, and and then I'm going to you know share it with you know anyone else who wasn't able to make it today. So um, uh, you know, let me just let me just set set the scene you know for everyone and just tell you uh, what was going on why there were so many people and then what we can learn from from what happened uh, so Lagba Omer is a very holy day in the Jewish calendar and uh, it's celebrated throughout the Jewish world uh, it's not a holiday like uh, Pesach or Shavuot that's coming up, but uh, is a very special day. It was the day that Rabbi Akiva's 24,000 students who had died stopped dying. And when Rabbi Akiva started anew uh, teaching the Torah uh, to five new students. Uh, it's also the day of the Yotzeit, the day that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, uh, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai died, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the person that uh, brought us the Zohar, which uh, opened up a whole new world of Torah learning to uh, to the Jewish world. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is also known. He's known in the Talmud. His name appears everywhere. He and his son uh, fled from the Romans and hid in a cave for 12 years uh, and lived miraculously and learned Torah. And so it's not, it's a celebration really of, of Torah. Uh, uh, it's also uh, the, the period of time that uh, people can start having weddings again, uh, play music again, have haircuts, and it's a custom. Um, hi, Debbie. Uh, it's a custom to take uh, a three-year-old boy and have his haircut for the very first time on Lag Bormer. Many people actually go up to Moron to do it. Um, now, I've been to Moron many, many times uh, because... When I was at Or Sameach in Jerusalem, and then when I would bring groups of students and we were touring Israel, so you would go up north and you would go to the Sea of Galilee and you would go to Svat, and then you would go to Moron and you would pray at the grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. You know, we pray at the grave sites of holy people, not because we're praying to them, but we pray that in their merit, our prayers will be answered. Um, that's what, um, that's, you know, that's what, uh, that's what we do. And uh, many, many people go up during the year. Many people uh, go there during the year and will pray at the at the site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and you hear miraculous stories of prayers being answered uh, uh, by people who went to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But over the years, um, uh, 
uh, I don't exactly know what the reason is, but more and more people have been going up to Lug, uh, to Moron on Lagba Omer. It's a tiny, tiny little mountain, and it's a and the gravesite is a small place. It's not uh, it's not like it was planned that way. It just grew almost organically. Uh, and so there are all these different like courtyards that people congregate in and different Hasidic groups make bonfires and they sing. And uh, it, it's a very, you know, for people who like being around lots of people, it's a very exciting thing to do. And a lot of young people go and there's uh, segments of the entire Israeli community that go. Uh, buses and buses and buses and over the years they've tried to organize it better um, they have people lining the streets giving out free food and drinks to people who are going there and going back and people spend Shabbos there afterwards it's a very festive you know occasion um, and uh, it reaches this climax when you know when these fires start you know start burning um, now uh what exactly happened uh, is still under investigation, but apparently there was some courtyard uh, that was filled with people. And apparently, according to you know my son-in-law, this was where all the American boys go. It's mostly Israeli, but the American boys go to this one particular area. And something uh, must have happened. And uh, the entrance was open and the exit was closed. And there was a crush and uh, they were unable to, you know, uh, get out and, and, um, and then people, you know, crushed each other and, and many, many people died. I was just, you know, watching the funeral of a 17-year-old boy who was at a yeshiva called Shalavim. He was from Tinek and uh, his mother spoke uh, and... You know, there were like 100,000 people around the world that, that watched it. And uh, the important thing, the important thing is not what happened and not what could have been done to prevent it and who's to blame, uh, because that's something that is just for those of us who are curious and fascinated with, you know, things like this that happen. Um, but that's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way to look at something like this uh, comes from the Torah. It comes from our teachers. It comes from our rabbis. And the Rambam, Maimonides, who you've all heard of, um, he says in a very, very uh, powerful statement, he says that whenever anything tragic happens to the Jewish people, it is a time for all of us to do teshuva, to change our ways, to improve ourselves, to look inside of ourselves and to see how we can improve because God is sending us a message when something like this happens. When, when a tragedy happens, it's happening because not by chance, not uh, because somebody made a mistake uh, or somebody's to blame. God, in his, without us knowing, all the rabbis that spoke said, you, we can never 
understand God's ways. We don't understand why something like this happened. But when it does happen, we have to know that he's sending us a message. Now, with COVID, he sent us a message. But that was over a whole year. Yeah, he sent us a message in one day. And 45 people died. And these were, you know, pure holy people that that uh, were going to do a holy thing. And many of them were Yeshua students, uh, rabbis, you know, people who, who learned Torah all day, uh, fathers and grandfathers and sons and brothers. Um, so the fact that it happened on Lagba Omer is very, very significant as well. So I, I have been listening to a couple of people speaking about this. I'm not going to, you know, tell you what, what each of you should do. I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going to do, but we have to do something. Each and every one of us has to do something. We cannot, you, we cannot go through an event like this and just be the same. Um, because as the Rambam says, if we do that, we are being cruel because then we are inviting, so to speak, God to bring an even greater tragedy, tragedy upon us, God forbid, um, so that we do wake up and we do change. And we all know ways that we can change. We all know ways that we can improve ourselves. Now, um, it happens to be that this period of time between Pesach and Shavuot is a time that we uh, are working on ourselves for another reason. We spoke about this last week and the week before, that uh, this period of time between Pesach and Shavuot, the seven weeks, uh, the rabbis teach us that we should be taking steps every day. We're counting up to, to Shavuot to prepare ourselves. We, we, we got our physical uh, status as a nation uh, at, on Pesach, but we, we weren't ready spiritually. In order to be ready spiritually to accept the Torah, we have to be, we have to work on ourselves to improve ourselves. Because just like the Torah is compared to water, if you pour water on a field that's full of weeds, all that's going to happen is the weeds are going to grow bigger. We have to uproot the weeds, put down, you know, grass and water that grass so that it turns into a beautiful garden. So, uh, I'm trying to think of something small to do that I can do every day uh, to improve. And particularly in the area of my relationship with other people, because one of the teachings of Rabbi Akiva, whose students all died, I think I spoke about this also, is we should love our neighbor like ourselves. That was the verse we spoke about last week. And we went through the whole discussion about it. Um, uh, now, I don't know, again, I don't know what that means for each one of you. Um, but it could mean, it could mean deciding uh, that uh, you're going to be more careful uh, when you criticize other people. You're going you're gonna to think before you criticize somebody. And maybe you're not going to criticize that person altogether. 
and you're going to start today because that's, and you're going to remember in five years time and 10 years time and 20 years time that I started being more careful about how I criticize people um, when these 45 people died. Or you're going to say, do you know what I'm going to do? I've been putting this off for a long time. I've been meaning to, you know, uh, start learning uh, uh, the Torah portion every week. And now I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to take five minutes every single day, every morning before I do anything else, or five minutes before I go to sleep, and I'm going to read the Torah portion every day. Um, or I'm going to, I've been wanting to give tzedakah, been wanting to give charity, and I'm going to take a dollar every single day, and I'm going to put it in a uh, pushka, and it, you know, every month or two or three or every year, I'm going to give it to the charities that, I feel are, are good for the, the Jewish people and, and are going to help bring people close together. And I'm going to start doing it today because today um, is the day that I'm thinking about these 45 people who died. So, uh, you know, the, the, the response is we can't, um, we can't be paralyzed. We can't feel like we're so overwhelmed with grief that we just can't go on. You know, I was, when you listen to some of the, the parents of these children speaking, they've got such incredible faith uh, that, uh, that God knows what's best and that their children are in a better place and that perhaps uh, it could have been much worse and, and, and their child was a, uh, like a sacrifice so that other people shouldn't die. They, they've got such incredible faith that they are moving on and they are going to be strong. So we can't just be sad and cry for one day or, you know, move on to the next, you know, news item uh, about something that happened um, and then just be the same people we are uh, every day. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to show you two books that I am, uh, one that I'm going through at the moment, another one that I am going to start. This is one um, called Live the Blessing. And uh, every day it's got a, uh, a lesson. So I'll give you an example of what I learned today. Uh uh, the lesson title is called Silence is the Best First Option. Now, as I'm reading this, think about this. Think if this has ever happened to you. People commonly walk away from an argument thinking, I should have said. At, the at that moment, they regret not having thought of a brilliant retort. They would have left their opponent speechless. Or perhaps they had thought of the retort and regret that they lacked the courage to say it. But in the course of time, their regret will turn into gratitude because our hurtful, insulting words never settle a dispute and often come back to haunt us. We may imagine that our scathing words would have knocked our opponent down a few ranks, but the more likely outcome is that those words would have confirmed everything he thought about us. And not only would our great comeback have failed to damage the other person, it would have succeeded in dragging us down, lowering our dignity and tainting us with the stench of argument. So it says, before you engage in an arguing issue, try remaining silent. 
Take the time to consider your options and where the response will accomplish anything. Now, uh, up until fri last Friday when we heard this news or Thursday night, um, we might have read something like that and said, you know, that's a nice thing and maybe I'll work on it or, you know, maybe I'll, I'll think about it a little bit more. Uh, but after the tragedy, after the tragedy, we have to find some way of making it real and committing to it. And I'll tell you why. Because when you, when you change yourself and become a better person, uh, when a tragedy like this happens, not only, like the Rambam says, uh, is this the right Jewish response and, and not responding is something cruel to do. And not only are you um, elevating the neshamas of the people that died, but what you're doing is you improving yourself. you becoming a better person. And that's what we are in this world to do. We are to become better people. And this is an opportunity, so to speak, that God has given us to grow. And if we can't grow from something like this, then what are we going to grow from? What is it going to take for us to become better people? Now, I spoke also, uh, Steve, we spoke about this last week, I think, that when you have a happy occasion happen to you, when you have a grandson, you should also do something. You should also do something positive. And, you know, maybe after this call, each of you on your own, you can text me and you can call me and say, I'm thinking of doing this, I'm thinking of doing that. You know, one person, one person spoke to me, uh, a couple of days ago, he said he's stopping to use his smartphone. He's giving up his smartphone. Now, that's that's a big, big thing for someone to do. Um, now, you're going to say, well, how can you do that? How can somebody give up a smartphone? Or how can somebody give up using the internet? You know, now, why would someone do something like that? Isn't that being irresponsible? The answer is he he must have thought to himself that he was doing things on his smartphone that he shouldn't be doing. He was spending too much time on WhatsApp or texting or, you know, or watching things that he shouldn't be watching. And he's decided that this is too big a tragedy for him, you know, just to let it just go by. And he's been wanting to control himself and he just decided that he's going to give up the smartphone. Now that's a major thing. I wouldn't suggest you do. I wouldn't suggest you say, you know what I'm going to do? I haven't been keeping Shabbat. I'm now going to start keeping Shabbat completely this week. Or I haven't been keeping kosher. I'm going to start keeping kosher from this week. Because you know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to do it for a week or two, and then you're going to stop, and then you're going to feel guilty. And the next thing is going to come along, and you're going to say, you know what, forget about it. I tried it last time, and, it's, and it didn't work. So you've got to take on something small. Um, uh, I just heard also... Uh, a story about a woman, a madricha, who was in charge of a bunch of girls from a school. Um, and uh, they went to the beach and a tragedy happened and six girls drowned. And this girl was absolutely devastated. So she went to this great rabbi, the stipler, and um, uh, he, she said, what can I do? So he said to her, 
what you should do is you know there's a there's a a law that you're supposed to cut your nails in a certain order you don't just cut your nails you know right to left you there's a there's a way you're supposed to miss you're not supposed to go in order you're supposed to skip a finger uh, each time now that that has to do with the fact that when you when a person dies they they prepare the body and they um, and they um, and they cut the nails in order. So we don't do that when we're alive. So we do it in a uh, in a in a different way. And I'm not saying you should do this, but why was this rabbi saying that that's something you should do? You know, it had no connection to these girls that had drowned. So what he what he was saying. What he was saying was, our nails grow our entire lives. It's, it's almost the only thing that keeps on growing. And what he was saying to this girl was that this is something you have to carry on for the rest of your life. You're going to have to think about this tragedy, and you're going to have to deal with it, and you're going to have to um, grow as a person, and you're going to have to, um, you know, get over the initial pain and and make the world a better place. And by looking at your nails every Friday and thinking about how to cut your nails, you're going to think about how to improve as a better and become a better person. Um, now, one of the areas that I want to work on, and I know it's coming close to 3.30, uh, how it has to go, and I think uh, Steve might have left. Um, but one, one of the things that I'm working on is something called Imuna. Imunum is a hard word to translate. It means faith uh, or, or faithfulness. And the basic idea is that we believe that everything that God does is for the good and that he runs the world, he knows what's best, and we are uh, very limited in our understanding of the world. We live on this world for such a very short time and... Uh, we don't understand. And one day when we get to the next world, we will understand. Just like all these 45 beautiful Nishamas, they are in a better place right now. They, they understand why this happened. They understand why they had to leave this world at this time. We're going to have to wait, you know, our turn until we, till we find the answer to that. But in the meantime, we can strengthen our Imuna and not be, not be, um, you know, uh, turned away by, uh, you know, blaming the police or blaming the, the organizers or blaming the people that, you know, that went up there. We have to, so there's, uh, there's many, 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 many books on Imuna. Uh, there's a, a series, uh, uh, I think called Daily Imuna by Rabbi Asher. This is a big, thick one that I'm reading now called The Soul of Imuna. Uh, by Rabbi Schmelzer. Uh, but you can find it online. You can find it on h.com. You look up Emuna, and, and that's an opportunity. Debbie just shared something with me. If you look in the chat, dailygiving.org, you give like $1 a day, and it goes to a whole bunch of different organizations. And I know many of them, but you can, you can find things to do. So, uh, I'm going to just pause now for a moment because I know how it has to go. And um, uh, Marty just joined. 
Uh, any thoughts? I mean, I normally I try to get response from you, but I wanted to get in something before the half hour. Is there anybody that wants to share their thoughts or uh, questions about anything that I said or your feeling on the, the tragedy itself? Okay, Rabbi, I have to go. I do have some questions. I'll try to email you and maybe we can either dialogue a little later or via email. Okay, Thank so you very much. Thank you very right. much. Pleasure, Howard. Take care. Bye. All right. Anybody else want to say, want to share anything? Um, Amit, I mean, you, you heard about this. You, I mean, you, you must, did you ever go to Maroon in your life? I have not. I've never been to that little cave. What about Swat? Have you been to Swat before? Yeah, I've been to Swat. It's not that great if I'm being completely honest look Swat is it's a beautiful part of the, the country it's a very mystical place a lot of artists go there I remember going on a hike from Swat to Moron um, but Lisa you know did you hear did you hear about the tragedy yeah I heard about it it was I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from sharing my thoughts as to not upset anybody but I, I heard about it. So I mean, so you know, um, that that is already doing something in a positive way by you saying what? I'm not I'm not going to share my thoughts because I don't want to upset anybody. That's a very positive thing to do. There's what? no need to share something that's going to upset someone. What um, tragedy are we talking about? We're talking about the the 45 people that died on this mountain in Moron on Thursday night. Did you hear about oh, it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The right. stampede or something like that right. or whatever. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't so much a stampede because it, it wasn't people, you know, oh. like running anywhere. They were just there were just people coming in and there was no way to there was no way to get out. Um, but I met what I'm more interested in hearing about is the Jewish idea that when a tragedy happens, that we should introspect and think about how we can improve. Does that resonate with you at all? Or does, does it not? It doesn't. I think that it goes along this very Puritan line of thinking that God is this figure who, who smites us and is here to teach us lessons with force. And I'm not a believing person to begin with, but I think that that idea is a little bit silly. Okay. So, you know what? That's exactly what I would expect someone like you to say, because you've, you haven't grown up with, um, I grew up just the same way as you. I, when you first hear something like you this. Wanna, you want to put yourself in there? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I just, uh, there you go. Mona, did I can hear you guys. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm good. All right. So we're just talking about this tragedy in Moron. So I met, I'm very happy that you did say that, you know, because it doesn't, it doesn't make logical sense that when some tragedy happens, you know, let's say, for example, there was a tragedy in Mexico and a car, a train collapsed on a bridge and 23 people died or there was a, a mass shooting and, you know, six people died or even one person died. 
is that does that mean that Judaism says that every single time something happens, I've got to try introspect? It seems like um, it seems a little excessive, and it seems like that's not what should be expected of us. Now, this idea that God is smiting us is not uh, is not is not the Jewish view. You know, I'll just pivot for one moment into this week's Torah portion. It's actually a double Torah portion. We're finishing the book of um, uh, Vayikra, which is uh, the third book. And next week, we're going to start the book of Bamidbar, which is all the stories of in the desert when we went from uh, just after we came out of Egypt. And, and, and it ends with Moses dying. It's just before Moses dies. And the fifth book is the final sermon the final speech that he gives to the jewish people so this week's torah portion is a double torah portion the first one is called bahar uh and it talks about uh the sabbatical year which is coming up next year which is also fascinating we'll we could talk a lot about that as well but we'll wait until next year and we can you know we can talk about it when it's actually the the idea of of letting your fields lie fallow is actually something that Jewish farmers do today, even though they're not obligated to do it because the temple doesn't stand. But a lot of people who do that, very, very fascinating. We can talk about it. I actually lived in Israel during one of the Shemitah years, and there's all kinds of laws about what kinds of produce you can eat, what, what, what produce you can't eat. Very, very interesting. But the second Torah portion in uh, this week is called Bechukhoisai, Bechukhoitai. And basically, it's a series of blessings and curses that God says, if you keep my Torah, then I'm going to bless you. And if you don't keep my Torah, then, then I'm going to bring terrible things upon you. And if you read it, you'll see that the blessings are like this and the curses are much longer. And anyone who reads it will think, you know what, this is a very vengeful God that, you know, just wants us to slip up and fail, and then he's going to, you know, destroy us. And Amit, I will tell you that I've got a lot more faith in the Jewish people. The people that I've met are smart, and they're kind, and they're generous, and they've stayed true to their faith for thousands of years, even though we've been subject to all kinds of attempts to annihilate us. And I don't think that we would have done that and we wouldn't have become the people that we've become if we had to believe in a vengeful God that is just out there to get us. I certainly, me, I'm just talking about me personally, Zev Khan, I would not be an Orthodox Jew if I believed that if I do something wrong, God is just going to strike me down. And if my brother does something wrong, he's going to strike me down. And if my friend does something wrong, he's going to strike me and punish me. I, I'm not interested in that. That's not, that's not the kind of God that I want to believe in. But that's not the Jewish God at all. And the way to understand the blessings and the curses and when things like this happen, the beginning is to say that I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough to make a judgment on what happened. 
Sure you are. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Walker. <laughs> thank you. Um, but it's almost arrogant, you know, to say, you know what, I understand what, what went wrong. I know better than anyone else. And this is my opinion of what, 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 would, have ha- what would have needed to be done to prevent these things from happening. You know, I, I know how to solve the Middle East peace problem. I know how to solve racism in America. I know how to, you know, do all these kinds of things. Why do we, why should, why do we think that, that we know all the answers? So the first, first thing that Judaism says is, and this is, this is, um, this is where I realized that I had so much to learn is when, when I started looking more closely at the Torah and I started reading the words and I started realizing that I really don't even know what, where to begin. I don't even, I don't even understand the words. I don't know what the words mean. I can read it in English. Don't know what the words mean in Hebrew, but even when you read them in English, they don't make sense. So I needed teachers. I needed people to tell me what they meant. And when you, when you learn them, you realize that God loves us more than we love ourselves. Or as someone said, the, the challenge is not to believe in God. The challenge is to believe that God believes in us. You know, uh, God gave us 613 commandments. Why did he give us so many commandments? Why did he just give us five or ten? So the answer is, if you, if you trust somebody or you believe in somebody, you're going to give them something to do. You know, I mean, you go to university, they don't, they don't give you an assignment that's suitable for a five-year-old and say, you know, we want you to read this, uh, this book and uh, it's only five pages long and the words are not too difficult and we're not going to give you a test. We're just going to ask you if you... You know, if you enjoyed it, you're going to say, look, you know, that's nice if you were five years old, but I'm studying to be, you know, a financial advisor. I want to know what it's going to take to be a successful financial advisor. So in that case, you're going to go to a university where it's going to be really hard. And one day, maybe you'll do an MBA that you'll be up all day and all night and working for months to get your MBA. You're not going to complain and say, you know, why do they make it so difficult? You're going to say, the reason why they do this is because they believe in me. They believe that I'm capable of doing this. If they, if they were really bad people uh, and they were doing this because they didn't believe in you and they just wanted to fail you, well, then nobody would go to that school. The reason why you go to a school like DePaul, the reason why you go to uh, you know, an MBA at Harvard is because they believe in you. And that's why they make it tough for you. So God, God is saying to us, look, you've got potential to become a great person. And I met, we spoke about this also a couple of weeks ago, that um, it's not easy when somebody does something that upsets you not to get upset with them. And you said that the brothers at Pi are actually well-behaved. But I'm going to guess, I mean, if you, after this class, you know, were to go for a walk or you were to, 
just think about it. My guess is you would think, you could think to yourself of ways you could improve yourself. Ways you could improve the way you speak to your parents, the way you speak to your friends, the way you, you know, just the kinds of things that you know that you, that you can improve in, but you just haven't yet taken the time or committed, you know, or, you know, got the courage to change. Um, and then something like this comes along. And again, forget about blaming people, why it happened, why there's so many people that go there. Why wasn't it? Why were the police? Why did they do what they did? Forget about that. That's not relevant because there's nothing, unless you're the chief of police, there's no, nothing that you're going to do that's going to, that's going to impact that situation. Maybe you'll be more careful. You won't go to a place like that, maybe, but that you probably wouldn't have gone to a place like that anyway. But it's, we're missing an opportunity to grow as people if we don't grow from something like this. And, um, and that's, that's really the message that I, and I, when, when I'm talking to you, I'm really talking to myself. I, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I committed last Rosh Hashanah, right? We all, we all went to Shul last Rosh Hashanah and we said, you know, and Yom Kippur, we said, you know what, God, I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. I said I was going to do this. I said I was going to do that. I apologize, but I'm going to do it this year. This is the year that I'm going to do it. I'm going to treat my parents better. I'm going to be nicer to my friends, whatever it is that you were going to do. I'm not going to look at things that I shouldn't look at on, on the internet. I'm not going to waste my time playing games all, all day. This is the year that I'm going to do it. And now six months later, we look back and we say, you know, well, how much of that did we do? And it turns out we didn't do that much. So um, again, no one if anybody says that they know what is the reason God brought this terrible tragedy on the Jewish people, because it's, it's a tragedy for all of us. We are all one people. And just like if you hurt your toe, you feel it in your head and you, you know, you don't just ignore it because you say, well, it's just one part of my body. If you did not cry on Thursday night, when you heard this, then I suggest you go watch the funeral of, you know, the 17-year-old Donnie, uh, I forget his last name, or go on to ace.com and read some of the stories of a, a mother whose son was, was there and, and stayed up, you know, thank God he was, a, he was he's, you know, he, he survived, but he, um, his mother didn't know for hours and hours where he was. If you just go through the day, if you just went through Thursday and Friday and you said, oh, you read it just like you read about some other story, then you have to question yourself and you have to say, how connected am I to the Jewish people? It's not about the black hats or that they're religious or anything. We all, on a day like this, the, all, those, all those things don't matter. Uh, but again, uh, Don, uh, Amit, your your feelings are very valid. I, I absolutely would feel the same way if I was you. The challenge is what are you going to, are you going to be a different person, you know, a week from now, a month from now because of this? 
Um, I and think that 45 people don't need to die in a cave for me to do self-reflection. And I think that, and I think that this, this viewing of people as sacrificial is really as these martyrs who are sacrificial, who, who are, I just don't think that it's a, a healthy way of looking at a tragedy. And I, aside, aside from my opinions about what went on there, which I'm keeping to myself at this point, this, my point is really that I don't believe in the, uh, I don't believe in the sacrificial lamb. I don't believe in the, I don't believe that they, these 45 people were sacrificed. Therefore I should, I should do something about it. I believe that self-improvement comes from within or, and it doesn't, and quite the contrary, it doesn't, we don't need to do it because other people have sacrificed themselves. It just needs to happen. You know, that you you're absolutely right. I didn't. I I I I'm not saying that they were a sacrifice. That that's what one of the mothers of one of the the children that died said. That maybe because this is a you know, uh, I mean this is not me saying this, and it's not my mother saying this. This is this is what uh, rabbis have said for thousands of years that. Um, this world, if you look at the world, it's a very, very sad world. The number of people that have died this past year, the tragedy of, you know, millions of people that are, are you know, orphans and uh, have lost their parents and grandparents. It's a very, very sad world. We can, we can look at the world as just being random and that everything happens by chance. That's a choice that we can make. And it's a choice that probably most of us make. In fact, in fact, if you read in this week's Torah portion, one of the reasons why God lets things just happen is because we believe that things just happen. When we believe that the world is just random, then God says, fine, you want to, you want to believe the world is random? I'll let it be random. And uh, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that's what, what happened with COVID, but I do think that it's important to at least understand that this is what Jews believe. And this is what we believe for thousands of years. We don't say that the 6 million that died in the Holocaust were sacrifices for us and that we have to learn a lesson. But we do believe that God runs the world that he created the world. He gave us the Torah. We're about to accept the Torah again on Shavuot. That's what Jews believe. Now, you might say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai. I don't believe that. That's, that's absolutely your choice. But it's important to know that that's what Jews have believed for you know, thousands of years. And if you take a little bit of time and you, and you study it, you might just start thinking to yourself, you know what? Maybe they knew a little bit more than I know. Maybe they understood the world a little bit better than I do. All right. I've actually been speaking for much too long. Marty, you haven't said a word yet. And Debbie, well, I, know you... I, you know, I can't, I can't talk because all you do is talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a, um, it's very sad for me because I actually know someone who was there. 
I know, I know someone who was in the room and I'm trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. And it's very, very hard for me. And I'm, and I haven't really spoken about it to anyone. You're the first group of people that I've even been speaking about. It. And as I speak, I'm thinking to myself, so what am I going to do? What, what am I, what am I going to do? Um, so Marty, what are your thoughts? You're still talking. I, my thoughts, I came here for the mikvah discussion. <laughs> okay, well, listen, sometimes things happen and uh, you can't just ignore it. You can't ignore the fact that, you know, 45 Jews just died last week and just say, well, you know, let's just keep on going as if everything's normal. Uh, we, I know you want to just remind me again. We, uh, we spoke about the mikvah last week. What, what were your questions about the mikvah? Well, I was kind of interested. You know, I, I think a lot of people know the traditional use or purpose of a mikvah, but then you said the males get mikvahs, and I actually did not know that. And I think some other people on the call did not know that either. Including and you. I just wanted to talk about that, but we can talk about it next time. Well, um... You know, let me let me start off by talking about this. But just before we do, um, is anybody else? Do, do you have any thoughts about Debbie? You wanted to say something about your thoughts about what happened in Moron or anyone else? Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I spoke with Mrs. Felsen, who you you and I both know. Yes. She uh, her sons are are fine, but uh, three of her sons' friends from the same yeshiva had passed away uh, at the event. Yeah. Oh no, really. Friends of her son. Yeah. Yeah. Um, three three American boys. As you said, they attract a lot of Americans. So um yeah, it, it, it made me think a lot. And also um uh we had a, a, a family friend who um in a completely different incident uh lost a daughter to um basically a traffic accident. And you know, it, it feels like they're two directions you can go one is just you know a pit of sadness and you know anger right about this the daughter was just a freshman at college or you could try to take that same immensity of emotion and put it towards something that is useful um you know and so she's campaigning to have the traffic lights changed and all, all these things they need to you know protected sidewalk that actually more than one student has died from the same university at the same intersection. It, it's it's like a huge, it's like a freeway going right next to the top. And so, and she's held a, all these, on Facebook, held all of these events. And um, I think that's at the core of what you have <clears throat> been talking about with the mint. It, it mean, it's just, you can either say this is random. And so I'm either just going to try to move past it um, or, I'm just going to get angry about it versus how, how can we move towards doing something positive, um, even about the things that are the most negative. Uh, anyhow, uh, one thing that, that it, it brought to mind for me was how much sadness there is about the 45 Jews who died. And then just on my way home, my neighbor who is Indian said, you know, she just looks so tired. I said, right. How are you? She said, I'm up all night trying to get oxygen tanks and, we're trying to set up makeshift hospitals and because all of her relatives and, and many friends in India, she said, it's 10 times worse than they tell you on the news. 
because it's all censored. India doesn't want people to know how bad it is. Uh, and, and she just, and so, I, and she said, there are a hundred people dying an hour, 10,000 10, people a day die. And I just thought if we can have this much sadness as a Jewish people over 45 people a day, imagine 45 people an hour. And it also reminded me of when we had 9-11 and several thousand people died. And I thought, how many 9-11s would you need to have in a row to have a Holocaust? It turns out you need to have 9-11 every day for 10 years, approximately, right? And so how can we just notice and try to do something positive, try to change things? Because ultimately, um, you know, whether or not completely have immuna about God and all this stuff, you know, God gave us free will in addition to laws, right? So we're not... It, they wouldn't be laws if we didn't have the ability to not follow them, right? If it was a commandment, like a, a robot gets, you know, computer code, it, the robot is not going to resist that because it just does what it is told. But we actually have free will. So how can we use our free will and guide it towards improving the world? Um, and so for me, I, this isn't necessarily because of robot. I'm trying to strengthen myself to actually have the guts to look at some of the tougher problems. Um, and, not ignore them, see if there's something, even if it's like a $50 check, you know, that I can do that. It's at least something that's possible. So that's how I've been thinking. Maybe thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so Marty, just so that you we don't end without at least dealing a little bit with that. Um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, the MIC for all together. No, I mean, um, you don't have to. I mean, don't you don't have to pacify me. We can do it next time. No, it's, I, I want to, I, if you really want to know, I'm glad you've got a better memory than me. I know that we spoke about it last week. Um, I was, uh, I was away on Wednesday. We went to uh, a singles weekend up in the Catskills. And uh, my wife, who's a matchmaker, I think I told you about this. She was meeting singles hours and hours and hours. It was just remarkable to watch her and all these other women do this. Um, now, so my, it was a little bit of a short week for me. And I'll make a, I'll make a note to, to, to do a little bit more research. But I, I, I want to just maybe end with this, um, that uh, I'm the the way that things are today regarding the mikveh is not the same way things were during the time of the temple. Um, during the time of the temple, when a man and a woman became ritually impure, or they had something called tumor on them for very for many many reasons. One of them is if they touched a dead body. Another one is if they touched an animal that was tame, um, uh, then they would go to the mikveh. But today, the only reason why a person goes to the mikveh from a halachic, from a legal point of view, is a woman um, when she... Um, has her menstrual cycle, and when that ends, and then she goes to the mikvah, and she's able to be with her husband again. That's the only time that a person, a woman, has to go to the mikvah. And this is talking about a, a married woman, not talking about a single girl. Um, 
So why is it that men go to the mikvah today when they don't have to go? So not everybody goes. Uh, in fact, I would probably say that most Jewish men do not go. But, you know, again, uh, when, when, you, when you see who the people are that do go and why they go, then it makes you think that, well, maybe there's something to this. Or maybe it's something I should think about. So the most prevalent custom is for men to go to the mikveh before Yom Kippur. And some of them do it before Rosh Hashanah as well. And the reason is because Yom Kippur is compared to a mikveh. Just like um, Yom Kippur atones and, and makes a person pure, so when a person goes into a mikveh, it would take away that spiritual impurity. So people go to the mikveh, and even though it doesn't change a person's halachic status, but it's almost like a symbolic act of preparing yourself for Yom Kippur. And so um, people, like I said, will go before Yom Kippur. Some people will go before all the holidays, before Pesach, Shavuot, uh, Sukkot. And then some people go uh, every Shabbos, every Erev Shabbos. They go on a Friday afternoon and they'll, because they want to prepare for Shabbos. They want to be, so to speak, you know, they're doing a symbolic act of purifying it. You know, we do a lot of symbolic things in our lives. Um, do you and this go, is, Rabbi? Do you go? Do I go? So yeah. I will go. I will go before Yom Kippur, and I'll go before Rosh Hashanah. I think I went before Pesach, and I'll. Uh, my boys go. I, I think my. I think I, I'm not sure if all three of my boys go, but at least two of them go every week before oh. Shabbos. Um, and, you know, when you go, when a woman goes, it has to be at night and it's very done in a very modest way. You don't announce it to people and say, oh, I'm going to the mikvah because, you know, I'm going to be with my husband tonight. You have to be very, very uh, uh, modest and, and private about it. But men's mikvahs, you have 20, 30 people going to the mikvah at the same time. Now, they don't all sit in the mikvah like a, a spa. They, one goes in or two or three go in at a time. They go in, they dunk themselves two or three times and they come out. So it's not, and nobody's watching them to make sure they're doing it correctly. When a woman goes to mikvah, she has to have someone checking. Yeah, she that, has to be escorted, if I remember she has, correctly. She has to be escorted because she has to have someone check that she's doing yeah. it correctly. A man doesn't have to do it correctly. A woman, she can't have any like uh, band-aids on or anything right. that that separates her from the water. But if a man goes into the mikveh and he doesn't have everything absolutely correct, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but do, does the man have to be naked also like the women? Man has to be naked, right. You don't go in okay. like with your swimsuit on. I mean, Marty, if you want to, um, I can see you got a picture of little Noah going to the oh, mikveh. Maybe he's, he's, his mikveh, yeah. He's going to his mikveh. But yeah. um, <laughs> uh, if you want to, I would be very happy if you come to West Rogers Park. They actually just renovated the mikveh in West Rogers Park, and it now looks really, really beautiful. And um, it takes a lot of commitment on a lot of people's part to uh, to keep a mikveh going. In fact, the rabbis say that the most important thing to build in a in a city before the synagogue, before the school, before anything else, is a mikveh because otherwise, yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, you know, and. 
We even have a mikveh down in Champagne. Because, oh, yeah? And it, it's a, I could talk to you for an hour about that. But um, we have a mikveh there because the closest mikveh to Champagne before this was two and a half hours away. It was Chicago or Peoria. And, okay. And, um, and what... What young married couple wants to move to a town where the closest mikvah is two and a half hours away? What, where is it located in Champaign? So that's a fascinating question. It's actually in the basement of an assisted living home. That's oh, no owned, kidding. That's owned by a, a Jew who has many nursing homes, and he bought this home. It's not a Jewish home. There's not too many Jews who need assisted living in Champaign. But they were doing a renovation. He bought the building. And uh, I happened to ask their construction guy what it would take to build a mikveh. And we ended up over, it actually opened about seven years ago this week. Um, and now the woman of Champagne can go to the mikveh. And it's a, it's a very, very exciting thing. But the men do not go to that mikveh. There is, um, uh, you don't you don't have men going to the same mikvah as the women do. Um, so, uh, what you uh, so uh, say that again? You don't you don't have men going to the same mikvah as women do. Oh, so uh, it has to be two separate ones. So so you have to have two separate ones. So oh okay. So if you come to the mikvah here in the one that I go to, um, around the back. Um, is where the woman's mikveh is because it's more private and it's at night. People typically don't, men typically don't go to the mikveh at night. They go during the day. Um, so it's in the same place because uh, it also costs a lot of money to build a mikveh. Costs tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a mikveh. Really? Okay. And uh, it has to conform to lots and lots of strict halakhic guidelines and there's different opinions and you want to make a mikvah that satisfies all the opinions. So, for example, um, there's one opinion that says that you have to have two pools that are side by side. And there's another opinion that says that the two pools have to be one underneath each other. Oh. So the way mikvahs are built today is they'll have two pools and they'll have two pools and one un underneath each other as well. So you have both to satisfy because you don't want to have a group of people who can't go to that mikveh, that's just going to cause even more trouble. You know, you'd rather not have a mikveh if it's going to cause some people to say, I can't go. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, it's, not, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad thing to do every so often because this is the kind of thing that Jews have been doing for thousands of years. And you want to do the kinds of things that God's going to be happy with you. It doesn't cost too much. It costs about $10 to go to the mikvah. And uh, if you're ever in West Rogers Park, you want to go to the mikvah, I'm happy to take you. Well, I probably could use it. Yeah, listen, we all, we all can. Thank um, you, Lou. <laughs> anyway, um, so... Hey, I put on tefillin a couple of weeks ago. That's I right, you told me. Too. Okay, now listen, two, in two week, talking about two weeks ago, in two weeks' time... You know, do you remember we uh, we counting up to um, to Shavuot last? Today is day number thirty-seven, I think it is. That means it's twelve days until the no, twenty-two days. No, twelve days, forty-nine. 
12 days until Shavuot. Okay. So, um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about Shavuot next week. We'll talk also about the beginning of the book of Bamidbar, but we should talk about Shavuot next week. And Lou and Marty, I still want you to go buy an art scroll Chumash. I'm actually going to send you both an email right now because I think I've got your um, Marty and Lou Shachter. Okay, art scroll Chumash. Go to www.artscroll.com and look for the stone edition Chumash. I want you to try buy one by next week. They'll, Excuse you know, me? I want you to buy one for yourself by next week. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Because everybody, need, that's one, that's a good thing to do. Um, they actually have, let's see, they have a sale in June, but it's not that expensive. Um, let's look at. Um, well, maybe uh, expensive to you is not expensive to me or vice versa. Right. It is, I'll tell you how much it is. The stone edition full size is uh, $50. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be the best. It'll be the best investment you ever made. It'll boy. be the best $50 I've ever spent, right? That's right. And God will pay you back in space, as they say. Okay. <laughs> spades now I, can i say that I don't no know. I can no say you that. can't all right who's on, who's on the phone still well we've got debbie and mona oh and did you uh, and, and amit you and leave did he did amit get uh, tired of talking to us i think he got Not tired of me i think he got tired of me talking to you oh okay. yes. <laughs> by the way the stone from us this is going to last you longer than your usual book you'll you'll be able to give it to that little guy uh when he turns bar mitzvah age look look at you know i like that you know what i think debbie is the smartest of them all because she just really gave me a good reason to do it that, yeah well, say then. oh this is this is your you know your grandpa's copy or whatever oh it's so nice yeah no these these are like made they're like bulletproof books and this way are they are, are they the big ones that you we used to get at uh synagogue no no. no, but I mean, but it's it's bound like it's a prayer book, like it's it's very sturdy, you know. Okay, no, no, Last no, yeah, yeah, yeah. A so it's, it's yeah, it's worth it's worth it, as they say. Debbie, does your daughter go to the mikvah uh, U of I? And I hope that's not a personal question. Oh, thank you for asking. No, it, she. I mean, I don't know. She's just. She's not. I don't think you go until you're married. Oh, is that what it is? That's what I think. It, it's only for right. married women and. We're, we're not really that observant that we would be getting into the mikvah area yeah. or things, but you never know what might happen in the future. So, yeah, thanks for asking. And it's interesting oh. to know the, the information about it. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> so, Zev, is there like a room that everybody gets naked for the guys and then they go in one by one or one by two or something that's, like that? That's, that is pretty much, that's pretty much what it is. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, no, listen, I have to, I'm going to have to show it to you. I'm going to have to. Uh... I guess you're going to show me more than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. 
All right, so on that note, it's 4.10. I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you for listening, and uh, and everyone should just be healthy and just hug your kids a little and your friends a little bit more and uh, call your children and grandchildren and tell them you love them because, like the one mother said, you know, I wish I could just have my child one more time to hug and kiss them one more time. We, yeah. We, uh, yeah. we need to do that a little bit more. All right, everyone. Same, same time. Thank you. And I apologize for being late as I, I had some work. No, same no. time next week. Are same we doing time, this again? Same time next week. Okay. Right. Sounds Bye. good to me. Bye, Thank everyone. Thank you. Good Shabbos, Bye -bye. everybody. Bye-bye. Good Shabbos. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.